want to um, share a bit of our history from 2013. In June of that year, I met with Carl Hiltz and his wife Betts, Ron Keckney and his wife Leveda, and Tim and, and um, Judy Souter. Um, Ron Keckney was youth pastor at Water Pentecostal, but we had met him at what was then KW Hospital, Grand River now. They had a boy, we had a boy named Rod on the same day, and Margaret and Levada ended up in the same room. We got to know them. He's the one that led me into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which radically changed our lives. If he, I hadn't met him, I'd probably be retired out west now from Carnation, the people I'm working with, because they offered me transfer to the west where I live in, in charge of Saskatchewan and Alberta. That was about five, six years after I got spirit-filled, and a year and a half after we started Jacob's Well. And I didn't have to think about it. I knew Jacob's Well had to be our priority, because I knew God was calling him to it. So after nine years, I resigned from, from, from um, Carnation. It was a good company, started by a Quaker, actually, a Christian man, back in the late 1800s. Became famous in the First World War when they start shipping evaporated milk over for the soldiers. They could now get milk and didn't have to be refrigerated until it was over. And a man I worked for in Carnation, who hired me actually, was in the Second World War. No. Yeah, the Second World War. No, the First World War. No, the Second World War. He'd be old enough. And he said that he was the lot, even when the fabric came loose on their planes, because he was in the Air Force, Use carnation evaporated milk to glue it back on. So mm. I don't know what that does to your digestive system, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what he said. Anyway, so here we are, starting Jacob's Well 43 years ago, last December the 7th. And now, as of my stint in the hospital where I lost my stomach and a lot of dignity, um, we now are in a place where Dave and Linda are running it, and you have a whole new team doing it. Um, our group that we meet with Tuesday nights, we're still keep you in prayer for your seminars and stuff like that, but except for Margaret and I, we're really not involved too much. I think Mark and Bonnie do come out once in a while to the Saturdays. June, with if, if she was, she's so involved with some other stuff. But. So that's where we are, and I'm thankful that Dave and Linda have taken it over and are working at it. The main reason for speaking to you tonight is tell you about the cost of, of working in this ministry. I don't want you to think that whenever I used our experience the last years up in Kitchener and out at Baden where our property was, I don't want you to think that I'm telling you you have to do the same thing. Understand? I'm not. I want to try to up up the level of your spiritual authority, but I don't want to say you have to do it like we did it. But I'm going to tell you what we did in order to help you make decisions. It's very important that you realize that this that this world is a training ground for heaven. 
this world is to see which decisions we will make, whether we're going to live for him or live for ourselves. Satan is not your biggest enemy. Your flesh is. He has no access except your flesh. If you're willing to let him in because of your flesh, selfishness, greed, whatever, all the list. And so my job tonight isn't to tell you what to do now and in the future. My job is to tell you what we have done in the past. And I should have brought it tonight, but I have an old Kodak camera bag that people used to carry their cameras and their flash bulbs and all this stuff in. I don't know where I got it. It still has Kodak on it, so I know I put it with. But in that bag, I started to keep the files that um, our secretary, back about 20 years ago, um, as we got testimonies coming in, mostly then by letter or by telephone, um, she said, what do you do with those? And I said, well, we generally read them at our board meeting so the people on the board know that their efforts are worth it even though they're not intricately involved in their day by day. And so they can know their prayers are being answered and so on. She said, well, we should keep them. I said, okay. So she set up a file. And then after a few years, she set up another file. And I think we have three in there right now. The bag is about that fat, but testimonies of people that their lives are changed. Now we've stopped putting them in the bag. Most of them come by email. I've saved a few in my computer, but I thought, what am, uh, we've got so many testimonies, what are we keeping more? We interviewed a girl back. She's going to be coming in to help with the children's program on the Gospel TV. We have two channels, by the way, for broadcasting. One is the regular, one is for children. Coonley's vision is to have 24-hour irregular channel and at least enough hours on the children's channel that a mother can set her kid down any time and know that good stuff is coming out of it. So that's exciting. So she's working with um, Coonley's wife in doing that. But when we're interviewing her, um, she said, yes, I, I came to Jacobswell about a year, year and a half ago. And she didn't know me, but she knew who Dave and Linda were. I don't think she knew I was her father, Dave's father. But she said, my life was radically changed because of that Saturday seminar. Well, you see, that's a testimony we don't have in print. But... Um, it's just another of many that keeps coming in. I'm telling you that because from now on, I want this ministry to continue to be that effective. Um, I've got that bag of testimonies. I don't, I never let it be public except one time I happened to mention it to the people that were giving us a lot of support. And the daughter and the mother head up the whole um, charity division. Her, the brother is also involved, the sister's brother. And um, when I happened to mention we had a lot of testimonies, she, the mother said, could we see those? I said, well, I guess so. I've never made them public before. You really have to let the people know that wrote them. 
But I said, if you make sure it doesn't go public. So they took them and they had them for about a month before they returned them. The giving from that ministry changed from 10,000 a year to 30,000 a year. And after we bought the house and they knew we needed money, to, it was 50,000 for the year. They were so impressed with the testimony. So testimonies are valuable, but I don't want to betray the confidence of people that give it to us, so I'm cautious with them. I want you to have a bag too, someday, a file of people that said, this is how this is how the Lord helped me and used your ministry. So what I want to do is to look at some things in Scripture to um, try to prepare you for what I believe the cost might be. With, with anybody, it's not the same as the other person. God's level of, a, of, re, of responsibility, of what he's looking for, can be different for all of you. But I wanted this to be recorded so everybody involved can at least understand God's looking for a commitment that will cost you something. All right? Even, even David in the Old Testament, when he was trying to stop a plague that was on the nation because of their sin, he went to a man that had a thrashing floor with thrashing equipment and oxen. And he said, I want your thrashing floor to offer a sacrifice. And the man said, I'll give it to you. And David says, no, I'm going to pay you. He says, no, you have it. Have the oxen for it. He said, no. He says, I will not offer anything to God that has not cost me something. And over the years, the people that have met with us have understood this. And they've been willing to allow it to cost them something. To individuals, it's been to different degrees. And that's their business before God. And in this group, it's your business before God. To what degree you want to offer yourself to God for service. Margaret and I went full blood. A year and a half after we'd started Chickens Well, I knew I either had to give up my job or give up the ministry because people were coming to us. Um, there was a lot of people coming, getting saved. There was literally people saved every Friday night. People filled with the Spirit every Friday. People being miraculously healed and demons cast. I went in a room downstairs in St. John's Agalinga Church for each one. Those that want to be saved, go to that room. Those that want to be delivered, go to that room. You understand? It was That's how powerful it was. And you see, we had to sacrifice. And so I sacrificed my job. I'd been in Carnation for nine years. They not only give up my pension plan, but there was a profit sharing plan, which was totally, I only donated 1% or 2% or 3% of my salary. They were meeting it with six bucks on the dollar. That's how powerful that profit sharing was. It didn't mature for 15 years. I'd been there nine years. And I knew the Lord was asking me to give that up. I got two or $3,000 out of it 
but it was only a small percentage of the 100% I normally would have got. We gave that up. I gave up a very lucrative pension plan because I knew God was calling me. I am not saying that God's telling you you have to give up your job. Only God can tell you. When I finally approached Margaret with this, how is she going to react? We had four little boys. Our house wasn't paid for. I had a company car. I didn't have a car of my own. I'd lose the car and lose my salary, everything. When I finally said to Margaret, I know this is what we have to do, she said, I know the Lord has been telling me the same thing. So we're ready to launch out without salary because we're still a street people type ministry. Without salary, four boys to feed, a house to pay for, have to buy a car, etc., etc. Our boys always, they saw us work through that. They saw more than we thought because we never, we never let our boys know when finances were short. I would let the Lord know, but then we had to discipline ourselves. I know you're going to supply, Lord, because you call me out, you will supply. And he always did. Matter of fact, it was 18 years before they put us on salary. In those years, I got a car that was paid for in six months. We got the house paid for before the schedule. We got out of debt. I owed some money in credit cards. Like he looked after us because he called us. If he calls you out, he will look after you. But you have to stand firm that he will. The worst thing is you're grumbling and complaining because the children of Israel will get killed in the wilderness by God for their grumbling and complaining. We have to stand firm. Even though the bank account is empty, God will look after it. He has promised. And you see, that's the spirit of faith. Whatsoever things you ask for, believe you already have them, and then you get them. It doesn't make any sense according to our standards, man's standards. It doesn't. Jesus said this. Whatsoever things you ask for, Believe that you already have them, and then you will get them. And that's the hardest lesson. Listen, I thank God for a guy named Ken Copeland. He has a bad name among Christians because it's kind of like believe it and grab it and grasp it and all that stuff. But I had three tapes somebody gave me, auto tapes. I listened to them three or four times. One of those times... You know, the light goes on. I realized what I need is there, but I have to believe to get it here. It's already there, but it's here. Because God created the whole universe out of nothing, but it was there, and he created Okay, So that was our story. So through the years, God start leading us to do some things. John 12. This, by the way, is in Matthew. No, this is in a couple of others, but this is, this one's good. John 12. And it's verses, verse 24 is the beginning. John 12. Twenty-four. 
I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now you see, nobody else, I shouldn't say that. Mark and Bonnie Garner, another couple, um, who have given up their job too. We gave up ours. Bonnie was a, a receptionist with us. A dental sur surgeon had a very important job. And um, she married Mark about 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I came through the seminary. They met and eventually married. And he's a, he's a professional counselor. He's got about three degrees in the university and stuff. They also have committed their life to full-time service, but the Lord is good. God looked after us. If God calls you, he will look after you. If you hang on to his promise, that he'll look after you. What has God done for us? I mentioned he got us out of debt. He got us a car. A man in our church had a beautiful um, mercury, a lot, the large mercury, you know, the high, the best, Dave Christman, you remember that car, that green mark? I love that car. And, and he gave it to me, he's, he gave it to me at a good price. It was top of the line car. He said, oh, I said, well, I, I have to wait until I have the money. He said, no, you take the car, you pay me. And I said, Dave, I'll have this paid off in six months, I promise you. I forgot about that. The last check I gave him, he looked at it and said, Howard, did you realize? It's exactly six months. I said, I had, I had forgot about that. But that's how faithful God is. We have people that start giving to us. and There's only two or three times I blew it. I went the wrong way. I'm not saying you have to do this. But we made it a point not to tell people we needed money. Except for a couple of times we put in our cupboards I didn't have the money to pay the guy. He's a Christian brother. He's doing our working in. He was in our ministry, and I wanted to pay him because he needed it. I told our Bible, our Tuesday night group, um, I promised to pay him, and I haven't got it. So they, but they were basically, without me asking for it, they basically started supporting us. And God showed us faithfulness to those years. And I want to tell you one other thing that you don't know probably. When we sold the property, the girl's name is Libby. She phoned me and said, I've seen your letter, you sold the property, you're retiring. I said, we're kind of semi-retiring. But I said, yes, we have to slow down. And she said, well, I want you to come in and see me someday, or, but I'll call you. But she never called me. I guess I didn't know why. But um, I had no idea what she wanted because we're done men we don't have to support the property anymore. What does she want to see us about? One day she called, she said, Howard, I'm sorry, I've been meaning to call you. But I'm gonna tell you over the phone. We closed the file on Jacob's Well because you haven't got a property anymore. But we want to give you some money as retirement. And she said, 
we're prepared to give you $300,000 to retire. It spoiled the rest of my afternoon. I didn't get much else done. I come home, Margaret came home. She was away. And I said, guess what? Libby called. They want to set up a pension for us. And they're going to put in 300000 Margaret said, are you sure you heard that right? <laughs> but the other, listen, if God calls you out, he wants to pour out blessings on you. The day that they give us $50,000 for that, to help us with the house that we moved, they generally write their checks just once a year in the middle of June. And I hadn't gone any for two years because she said to re re revamping our whole charitable division. And so please don't come in to see us. Don't talk to us. We're revamping it. So I couldn't call them to find out why she'd said I want, it. I want to um, see you. I just left it. And uh, when she called and told me that, it just, you, you understand what it does to you. We never had that much money in our, our house wasn't worth that much. It is now, but not then. Actually, we live in New Hamburg. It still isn't worth that much. Um, no, we're now we're now in the house in Kitchener, yeah. We paid 155 for that in case you're interested. It's worth, sure, worth a lot more than that now. But. So anyway, that's the blessing that God wants to bestow on us if we're willing to pay the price. It's, you know, it's like when my, one day I come home and I was still working with a carnation. Our boys were little. Rob was out in the front yard cutting the grass. I hadn't told him to. This is in New Hamburg still. I hadn't told him to. He'd simply got the lawnmower out, got it running, and was cutting the grass. And I'm driving down the street, coming back from Toronto after hour and a half, sitting on the 401, you know how it is in the truck. And there he is, a hot day. I could have taken that kid, taken him over to Toys R Us and bought him everything in the store. That's the way God feels about us when we're obedient. Just, it was something I learned from the Lord through my son. And I can honestly say this with David here, that our boys never gave us trouble like we never you know legal stuff there's only one time with Mark and he wasn't serving the Lord but it wasn't serious enough we did have to go to court and wouldn't you know it the judge was a lady that went to public school with Mark and the moment she saw it, she knew who she was and she was very kind to Mark and told him what she could have done and he never got in trouble with the police. He was just stopped on the road in his car, checked in how police stopped the young guys. And he had a bottle of something open there he shouldn't have had open. So, so you know, that's our blessing. Because we gave up. Because before I quit Carnation, they had said to us, Howard, we need somebody to head up the, the company, Alberta, Saskatchewan. I would have been the head guy, Alberta, Saskatchewan, the manager of those two provinces. 
but also Jacob Swell had been running now for at least a year, and I had to make a choice that wasn't hard. I knew what the Lord wanted. I knew the blessing of seeing people's lives change. I knew the blessing. It was a tremendous blessing. If I can, um, before I quit my job, Jacob Swell had started, Catherine Kuhlman, anybody know that name? She was a lady who was a faith healer back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Tall, thin lady. She's quite elderly now. She came to London, Ontario to do a crusade. We knew a guy, he was a former homosexual, he gave this testimony to Jacob's Well on Friday night. He was working with her to arrange bus tours and everything. And he told us all about it. He said, People come at least by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They line up because they want to get a good seat when the doors open at 7 or 6 o'clock. And he says, I'd get you in the back door if you guys would be um, ushers. Good deal. They put me in charge of the wheelchair section on the main floor right in front of the stage. And in that section, the first night, I met a lady her name was Mara Dean. Her husband was Dixie Dean. He was a musician. He played at our church. He was head of music on a big Christian radio station in Quito, Ecuador, with the first and only radio station for many years. We used to listen to it in Dad's shortwave set. And he was head of music, but she got um, bone deterioration where her bones all started to go soft. She had to get her whole back bone fused together she had stainless steel bolts for fingers and toes. Um, and um, she was from Kitchener. She was in a wheelchair for five years because of this. She told me, and I knew her husband. I'd never known her, know her husband, knew of him. And um, the second night, Catherine was there for two nights. The second night, I happened to be standing right beside her. And all of a sudden, she stood up. Now, the night before, she had to go to the washroom. It took, I had to get two ladies that didn't have washroom accessible, wheelchair accessible. It took two ladies to carry her in and help her and then bring her back to her wheelchair. That's how bad she was. She stood up. She had a shawl in her legs. It fell off. She bent over to pick it up, and I thought, she's going to hurt herself. And then I realized she's healed. And then Catherine Kuhlman said, there's a woman right down here that just got out of a wheelchair because her back's been healed. Come on. So she starts on. Then the Catherine can say, bring her wheelchair up. I brought her wheelchair up and put it up in the stage. That's the closest I ever got to Catherine Kuhlman. Now, that totally spoiled me for selling evaporated milk and coffee made in instant <laughs> Just the manager, sales manager of Canada called me into head office downtown Toronto on Bloor Street. He said, Howard, wonder what's happened to you? Because you don't have the seal. Because at one point, I was when new men would come into the sales force or into a supervising position where I was, 
anywhere in Canada. They brought them for me to train them, which is a great honor. But they thought highly of me. I'd been to Hollywood, California, where their head office is actually in L.A. But their, where I stayed was in Hollywood at the big, you know, where that, you could see the Hollywood sign right outside my window. So they had, they had plans for me. That's why they offered me the job in, out west. But it was Catherine Kuhlman that changed. I knew God was calling me to stay in Jacob's Well. We'd already started that. And so I got to share with the sales manager who was from French man from Quebec. I shared with him the whole story of Mara Dean. And I said, she was totally healed. And he says, you mean over a number of months she was ill? And I said, no. She was instantly healed, and you could tell he could not register that. He's Catholic, could not register that you understand. But it totally changed me, and so I, I finally resigned. And um, I think well of the company because it was based on a, a Christian man that still had good morals, basically. And uh, we had honesty and integrity in the company, which I was thankful. I'm not talking about every individual, I'm just talking about basically the culture. So when we gave up our job, it was like as if I was saying, Lord, I want the seed to go into the ground. And I die to all the dreams I had of, of working with Carnation, even going west and retiring there with a good pension plan, the profit sharing. I give up all those dreams. They even had a medical plan that was that that sub you know kind of subsidized the Ontario thing everything I would need there was two companies that were the best paid companies in Canada Carnation and General Foods which now has been bought out by I think Kellogg and Nestle from and some from Switzerland has brought out Carnation but they were the two best that paid the best had the best benefits and people thought I was crazy to give that up. Margaret's family, Mennonite family, couldn't understand it. My family did. My dad and mom did. I don't think my older brother did, but my younger brother did, who was all full-time in California planting churches in Mexico. And my sister was very cooperative too, so. But he said, if you're willing to die, then I'll bring life. If I'm willing, if I'm not willing to die, I'm just there. It says so right here. It's just, you're just there. But if you're willing to die, you'll produce much fruit. Now I've told you this story in the five-day seminar. I think all of you have been through it. Um, where I actually one day pulled a stalk of corn. It was about this high in the spring. And there's a little transparent shell with everything in the middle of it totally gone to nurture that plant. And all that's left is the shell. If you don't bite through that shell and you eat the corn, it won't digest. And so that's what we are. We have to totally empty ourselves for what God wants. There's different levels of commitment. And in our ministry, there's been all different levels of commitment. Some people only meet with us Tuesday night and pray with us. 
Some people come on Saturday and help us. Some people come to the five day and helped us. You understand? There was different commitments. And so each of you are in a place where nobody needs to tell you where your level is. Each of you needs to be open to the Lord. But you see, there's a whole area of marketplace evangelism. I think you all know about that. Be a witness where you work and so on. So all the way through it, as, as I've heard a number of people say, there's no such thing as a full-time job and you work part-time for the Lord. You work full-time for the Lord, doesn't matter where you are, regardless whether you have a full-time job or a part-time job, because he wants us to be a Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and so on. And so it's important that we see this kernel of corn and it's entirely up to you. I'm not going to judge you based on decisions you've made. I want you to just be open to the Lord in the next number of days especially, where you say to the Lord, what do you want of me? What do you want? If I disobeyed the Lord, taking the carnation thing, it might be because I was in disobedience, I don't know what would have happened to our marriage. Before I spirit-filled, I was restless in our marriage. It wasn't because Margaret didn't love me and I didn't love her. Well, I did. Our boys were being born. They were all little weak. But I was restless. And it was the enemy trying to get a broken marriage which would make all the more strikes against me. Because back when I was 15, I knew God called me to ministry. I went forward at a camp meeting. It was a pastor, Quentin Evers, from Quito, Ecuador. No, from Grand Rapids, Michigan. No, from Grand Bend, Ohio. Ohio. It was the evangelist. And he made a, a message about totally committing to the Lord. I went forward. I thought my chest was going to break. I was so, was so excited full of excitement in there. But I rejected the will a week later because the pastor in our church was poor as a church mouse, dirty old car. Instead of offering sometimes he got a dozen eggs or a dead chicken or something and it just totally poor. And there's no way I'm going to live like that. When I got spirit filled, I was so excited about the Lord it didn't matter anymore. I just wanted to serve the Lord. So it's important that I got spirit-filled. Satan didn't want me to get spirit-filled, but I did. And I thank God for Ron Keckney, whose wife gave birth the same day as Margaret. And he told me all about it. So now we're at a place where each of you watching this video or sitting here, you really need to make a choice. What level of serving does God call me to? And I do not stand in judgment of anyone at any level. I have not judged our people in Kitchener. I will not judge you here because I don't know what God's calling you to. But it's important that you obey him. And if you obey him, his hand of blessing. Do you, like those 17 years we didn't have a paycheck. Those are wonderful memory years. 
Like when you know the bills are coming in at the end of the month, and all of a sudden somebody out of nowhere gives you a check or hands you a roll of 20s. It happened all the time. We didn't tell people we needed money. They just were led by the Lord to give. That's more exciting than just writing a paycheck or cashing a paycheck. I'm thankful for the paycheck, but God had a way of teaching us to trust him many times. We never went into debt all those years. I actually gave up my credit card back then to get rid of it. And it, you can't do that today. You need it for almost any, everything you do. You can't book a hotel. You can't rent a car. You can't do anything with a credit card. But in those days, you could get rid of it, get by without it. And you see, to have money coming in, before the checks are due is a real blessing because you don't have to fight with the anxiety and all that stuff. But we had to learn this. If they were coming in, the bank account is not much, our pockets are empty. We could, I could say to Margaret, we're out of cash, bills are coming in, but God has promised that he'll supply all my needs in accordance riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He has promised, therefore he'll do it. We had to know, first of all, for sure that we're called to do this. Don't do it just because you're sick of your job. We had people in the early years of ministry giving up their work. They didn't like their job, so now I'm going to serve God. And they got very hungry. Okay. <laughs> Catacombs and Tron did the same thing, where we had our first inspiration of what God was doing. And I, knew, I, know, I still know people that were there because we got to know them. But a whole bunch of them said, the Lord's called me to work for the catacombs. So they all quit their job and they rented an office space up in the Don Valley. And they all got together starting the first day of work and gathered in there. And they kind of stood around and said, what are we supposed to do? Well, we don't have anything for you to do. And they started to realize God hadn't called them at all. They just thought it would be nice to work for Jesus. Um, I remember going to their Thursday night meetings where they'd have two, 3,000 young people in an Anglican church praising the Lord like crazy but they had in their announcement said we're trying to get rid of the office place we're bound into a contract we're trying to sell that contract and please keep praying for us and I remember the Thursday night I was there and they had said we finally found somebody to take over our contract relief from. So we didn't really fall into that, but we know we still had some people that are on their own quit without knowing for sure that God had called them. I'm saying all that so you will understand. Know for sure God has called you before you make a step like that. But if he has, and if you do, he will look after you. Don't let discouragement drag you into unbelief. Make sure you stand firm. Because it says twice in Hebrews, Abraham waited patiently in faith for God to provide. You understand that? Patience and faith. Faith comes from believing something you know. And when you, when you know that God's going to look after you and you speak it out, that gets into your heart. And out of the head and out of the mouth, 
out of the heart and of the head as we speak. That's your faith. That's a very clear. I've taught that in, in the seminars. So the question tonight is, are you a seed that's willing to die? Or are you going to hang on? That doesn't mean if you die, you have to give up your job. It means if you die, you're going to be fully available to the Lord. And that's where his blessing is. He will look after you. I'm not the only one God has looked after because we stepped out. Many missionaries went to the mission field without any promise of support. But they're still there. Many of them, some of them are dead. Hebrews 12, 16 talks about Esau. Jacob and Esau were kins, of course, I'm sure you know. What's the problem with Jacob and Esau? Well, Esau was hungry coming back from hunting. You know the story, I'm sure. And you see, Esau was living for the moment. I'm hungry. I'll serve my birthright for a bowl of stew. And he did. He was living for the moment. I don't want you living for the moment. I want you living for eternity. There's a big difference. What might seem hard here, you're still living for eternity. I wish there's some way I could flip a switch in your mind that would get your mind off this life and you become heavenly minded. The world is a saying you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No, if you're heavenly minded, you have a view of what is out there beyond your death. You're not just living for the day. And so Esau lived for the day. But people like David lived for the future. People like Paul lived for the future. People like Joseph, there's a powerful study here. Listen, when he got into Potiphar's house and being sold by his father, he didn't have bitterness or resentment against his brothers or hatred for his father for not coming home. He didn't have any of that because it said God prospered him in everything he did. And God was with him. You understand? He kept his attitude right. He gave up his life and was living for the Lord. And God prospered him. What did he become? He became the salvation for his whole family a number of years later. And so God might be calling you to more than where you are right now, but make sure it's the Lord. I don't want you knocking at my door and saying we're hungry. <laughs> what do you got in the fridge? <laughs> now it's interesting because the passage of Scripture that I wrote down at least two months ago when I had it on my heart to come and speak to you was the very Scripture that I walk in here tonight and David has it on his t-shirt or his, his hoodie. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. It's, on the back. it's right above Elo. Right no, it's at the top. I said, what a confirmation. It's right there. What a confirmation. Aren't you glad you put that on tonight? Yeah. Okay. You made your dad feel so good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 9, 
I'm going to start at verse 24. <clears throat> Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Do you understand? We get a crown that will not last. It's temporary. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is talking about the Olympics. The Olympics that started before Jesus was even born. So we knew he was probably talking about the athletic thing of the Olympics. Okay, we're not going into the Olympics tonight. I've covered that in the seminar. That's not important. However, I want you to see life like what Paul's trying to say here. This is a time of training. It's a time, as a matter of fact, I've said this. By the, the 43 years we've spent running Jacob's Well is a, has been a training ground for me for Gospel TV. I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware of it. It isn't that my training ground was nothing but a training ground. We still have a bag of testimonies of people being helped. But it prepared me for something. I couldn't figure out why they wanted me to go on the board. I said, Cooney, I can't understand what you're saying half the time because of my hearing. Even with hearing aids, he has such a heavy accent and it's my, my hearing is muffled. Everybody is muffled. They have to speak very clearly. Hearing aids aren't going to cure that. And so we prayed in our ministry. I said, they want me on the board, but I'm not going on the board unless God says so. Because I can't tell. Bishop Ali, the, the, East, the East Indian man from Oakville, I can't understand him. There's a lawyer from Toronto who's also from Nigeria. I can't understand. He's a lawyer and a, ch a pastor of a church. I can't understand him even more. Um, I can't go on the board. So we pray about it on our Tuesday night. Everybody gets a yes. I get a yes. Because we asked the Lord. We waited for it. So here I am. Sitting there. Sometimes Margaret's gone with me to tell me afterwards what I missed. But um, this is what both Kunli and Bishop Ellie at the last breakfast we had. Some of you were there. When we get home, Margaret said to me, Howard, you know, they really honored you today. And I knew they, I knew they did. I'm sitting on the board. I can't tell half the time it's gone, but God has used me on that board. Bishop Ellie says, what, that guy has pushed us? What did he have for breakfast this morning? Anyway, <laughs> he was so excited that I'm on that board. He's, he's a man that started five different churches, different Oakville, other places, I don't even remember, St. Catherine. And you see, God put me on, I don't understand God, but now I'm starting to say, well, he has me there for a reason. And you may not understand why God is calling you to do something, maybe in James, well, but maybe it's in something else, another ministry, because 
another ministry, another church. If God calls you there, it's all part of building his kingdom. I don't see us as it. I see us as a little bit of what God is doing. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last. So that's the difference. I'm talking about we're serving the Lord in this day and age. Not for this day and age. We're serving him for eternity. We're obeying him now, doing what he calls us to do, so that in the age in heaven to come, we will have earned the reward. Now, a number of times the Bible talks in the New Testament about being, re being rewarded for the work that we have done. And so, as we obey the Lord and what he's called us to he will reward us. That doesn't mean everybody's call is the same. It doesn't mean everybody has to do what somebody else did and set the example. It means we're listening to the Lord and doing what he's called us to do. He says, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So that after I've Preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the Christ. So Paul is obviously trying to use the Olympics or the games to say to you, we're in a preparation time, a time of practice, as it were. We're getting prepared. On this earth, we are proving to the enemy, to people around us, that there's more to life than just this life. And we're fighting in this life against the enemy, against our flesh. We're fighting against what he wants and what our flesh wants in order to give to God what he wants. The question is, do we know what God has called us to be? And if we don't, we need to learn. Most of you are in a place where your kids have grown up and you need to know you might say, well, Howard, I think I missed it. I missed the calling, or I missed my opportunity. I don't believe that. Um, you might say, well, you mean he has a plan B? Um, I don't think he has, unless plan B has to do with, Lord, forgive me for missing plan A. Please give me another chance. That would be plan A back again. God is a forgiving God. Jesus was here. He lived in the flesh like we live. He came for the purpose. God came on purpose in a man's body named Jesus because he wanted us to understand that he understands the battle that goes on against the flesh. He was tempted in the wilderness, it says, just as we are. That means he hears. Think of it this way. Satan said, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all these nations. Before Jesus left heaven, the Father had said, I'll give you all these nations, but you'll have to go to the cross, suffer and die, be rejected, suffer and die, in order to have all these nations. Satan is saying, I'll make it much easier for you. All you have to do is worship me. What a choice.
But Jesus took the hard way, and I'm asking you, make sure you don't take the easy way out. Ask God sometime in the next number of days what he wants you to do. The last passage of scripture I want to look at is Mark chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, pardon me. Starting at verse 14. By the way, this, this um, teaching of Jesus appears in this order. There's two things he's talking about here. It appears in this order in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In all three. And so it must be important that the two teachings stay together. Verse 14. John's disciples came, this is Apostle John, came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tailors worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Just physically, new wine in old wineskins. The old wineskins have already been stretched. New wine, which expands, would break, and we understand that. But what Jesus is trying to say here, when we fast, when we're willing to deny our bodies, if it's fast for food, fine. If it's a fast for something else, where you deny yourself a pleasure, which is not as common as food, but it's still quite used quite often. When you deny yourself, you're taking authority over the feelings of your flesh and the desires of your flesh. You're taking authority, you're saying to your flesh, I'll tell you when to eat, you don't tell me when to eat. And Satan hates that. He hates it. Because the only access he has to us to cause us to be disobedient and to sin is in the weakness of our flesh. He is not our number one enemy. Our flesh is. The flesh that hasn't died. The flesh that hasn't been buried. That's our biggest weakness. And so then the trouble is after you buried it in water baptism, you've died, you buried it, keeps coming back to life again. Anybody recognize that in their lives? It's there. Temptation is there. Every time you resist temptation, your flesh becomes weaker and the spirit within you becomes stronger. And so it's important that we recognize that Jesus here, speaking about fasting, speaking about the new wine and the old wineskins, He's trying to say, the way, that you, the way that you knew what God wanted to do before has changed. From now on, you're going to deny your flesh so I can speak to you and start telling you what I have in store for you. Do you understand where we're going here? It's like I've heard so many people say, I believe I've experienced it. Well, when you're in a period of fast, your spirit seems to become more sensitive to what the Lord is saying. And so, 
Over the years, I've asked our, 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 our people that meet on Tuesday night. We used to, we used to um, fast one, one day a week from breakfast to breakfast. Um, so we'd have dinner, not eat until the following dinner. Sorry about that. And um, we would do it every week where each of us would have one day. Our goal was to have somebody fasting every day of the week. Um, that didn't always work out, but God still honored it. And then some of the rest, they had another day that they fasted. It's journey for family salvation, getting their kids saved or whatever. But you see, I think fasting had a lot to do with the Lord giving us direction. It was the, like the new wineskin. God says, you don't keep on doing what you've always done. I have something new for you. And if I give you something new, but you put it into your old frame of mind, it's not going to work. So if I give you something new, I want something fresh to put in, something new. That's what fasting does. It gives us something new to put the will of the Lord into. It's common for us to sense we should be doing something for the Lord, but then say, well, I know how to do it because I've done it before. That's where Moses made his mistake. He struck the rock once and got water with his staff. The next time God said, no, speak to the rock, he still struck it because basically he said, I know how to do this. And it, that very act kept him out of the promised land. And so it's important that we see fasting as something that the Bible says we should be doing. The Bible never says you have to. It's not a legalistic thing. We should be so in love with God and his, the, the, his kingdom, the people that we're ministering to. We should say, I want to fast to able to prepare myself, prepare the ministry to meet the full potential of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Most of us don't like fasting. But once you've started it, like a 24-hour fast, unless you have a very taxing job, physically taxing, I could see you might have a problem with it, because you work hard. Depends. Uh, it's up to you. Some people fast other stuff. Some people might just fast a meal. The key is just say, Lord, what would you like me to do? If we love him, we'll want to fast. I didn't say your flesh would want to fast. I'm saying the spirit within you, which controls your soul, wants to fast. Amy, I should ask you, what controls your soul? Is it your flesh or the spirit of God in you? You understand that's why there's this battle going on. The, 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 the spirit and the and the flesh is that enmity. They're fighting with each other to influence the soul what decisions should be made. So that's all I need to say tonight. I really appreciate so much all of you work with Dave and Linda doing, carrying on the ministry because an awful lot of people that have ministries like Mark and I, when they're finished, the ministry's finished, which is too bad. But we're blessed to have a couple that support us, 
the other brothers are all supportive as far as encouraging and knowing what we're doing, knowing what Dave and Linda are doing. And so you're in you're in a ministry that God has honored and convinced wants to honor in the future as well. And so how much you're willing to pour into it is up to you. I am not here to try to take you away from another ministry. I'm here to ask you to go to the Lord next few days. Do some fasting the next few days. Just say, Lord, I'm going to fast. I want to hear what you have for me. If there's fear about the future, that's not God. It's your flesh. It's a flesh that's so used to getting a paycheck or always having food on the table. But it has to do with the kingdom of God. Which kingdom are you going to depend on? The kingdom of the world or the kingdom of heaven? That's where it goes. And so you can, depending on the kingdom of heaven, but still work in the world. It's just to stop looking at your company as your provider and look at God as your provider who's providing through your company. But it's still coming from God. Okay, so I want, uh, Father, I'm praying for those that are here, plus those that will watch this video. I'm praying, Lord God, that you will lead them into what you wrote in a book about them while they're still in the womb. You say in Psalm 39, that's exactly what you did. And Lord, what you wrote there, I ask you, Father, to begin to open it up in each one of their minds and under their spiritual understanding. They would understand what you call them to do away back there. And so, Father, we commit this time to you. I've taught what you've taught me. I've learned things from you, Lord, that I'm able to share, and I'm thankful for that. I thank you for the, the blessing you've been to Margaret and I and to our family, and how I want to see that blessing even more so poured out upon the people that are working here with David. So, Father, this is your ministry. You've always owned it. You've simply put us in charge of it, and we're so thankful. So do what has to be done. Move on the people that may be moved on. Bless the ones who are where they're supposed to be. And Lord, we call out your name into this ministry once more as a blessing to thousands of people that would hear the message that goes out from these people. Lord, we thank you that we have access to thousands. In the name of Jesus, we thank you so much. Amen. So I bless you and anoint you with the presence of the Lord to hear from him. I'm not trying to build this ministry. I'm simply trying to help each one of you get where you're supposed to be. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.